people often think of leaders as this glorious, glamorous position, but I really see myself more as the behind the scenes thing. Roll up your, you know, be a good role model, but also we're the ones that stay late at night making sure that the next day it's even better. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of World Strides inaugural podcast, Changing Lives Through Education Abroad a weekly series of conversations with international education's most interesting thought leaders, as well as discussions on emerging trends, best practices, and innovation happening in our field. I'm your host, Zach McKinnis, Senior Director of Campus Partnerships with WorldStrides, and I am so excited about today's episode. We'll be talking about one of my favorite outcomes of our work in education abroad, helping our students develop their leadership skills. More specifically, We'll be talking about studying abroad as a leadership laboratory. I am pleased to be joined by my friend, T. Yang. T. is the Assistant Vice President for International Education and Senior International Officer at Norwich University, a private military college in Northfield, Vermont. T. has been with Norwich since 2016 and has held Senior International Education Leadership positions at St. Cloud State University, Michigan Technological University, Dickinson State University, and Benedictine College. She also has degrees from Otto University and Benedictine College. I am so excited for today's conversation. You do not want to miss this episode. T, welcome. Thank you for being here. Yay. Thank you, Zach. It's my 25th year in international higher education. <laughs> Happy quarter century, Mark. That's amazing. <laughs> I'm having babies. <laughs> <laughs> Could you start by describing your current role at Norwich University to us? Sure. So I am the Assistant Vice President for International Education at Norwich University. I am entering my seventh year, um, and it's the longest job I've had at any one institution. I work with our incoming international students. So we have over 160 international students from 30 different countries, and then we support our students who study abroad, whether it's our exchange partnerships or or third-party providers, um, or our very own programs. We have a location in Berlin, Germany called City Lab Berlin. We also have faculty-led study abroad, and I support all things international. So we have faculty that um, do research abroad, so conferences, they make presentations. We have wonderful staff who do um, service learning, and they take students abroad, and just this past week, I met with a wonderful group of students who are doing all kinds of neat things. Um, we have groups going to Peru, Switzerland, and France to do mountaineering. And then we've got a group that's going to Georgia, the country, not the state, to do a field study. And so what my office does, like many international offices do, is uh, we do track where our trainers are. We do management. We um, do pre-departure orientation with them. We assist them with anything that they want and need. I love it. Norwich University has always been one of my favorite institutions to partner with. T, for our listeners who are perhaps less familiar, how would you define the phrase leadership laboratory? I know this is a lexicon that is commonly used on campus at Norwich, but may be new to some of our listeners. So a leadership laboratory is basically a space where students can learn how to lead. Students can make mistakes. They can try out things. They can switch it up, you know. And so what makes Norwich special is that we, we have built-in leadership roles 
for our students. So as, as scary as it might sound, we actually let our students run many aspects of the university. So, um, you know, they're with us making decisions. They're, they're enforcing values and rules. They're there guiding students and they're mentoring them. They're there coaching them. And so it's really a unique space because I think a lot of places, it's very passive. If you want to be a, a club president, go be a club president. If you want to study abroad, study abroad. Whereas here, I think there's two things. One, it's very intentional. So um, we have built in roles and responsibilities where students can apply, get be evaluated, get promoted, move up. So that's one thing. Uh, but the other thing that we have that maybe a lot of places don't have is we draw students that want that, right? So I think what you'll find is a larger share of people that want to lead and a larger share of people that purposely choose Norwich because of this opportunity. So you'll find leaders everywhere, but here it's a concentration of aspiring leaders and um, like attract like. And so you'll just be surrounded by people who want the same things, aspire do the same things. And I think, Zach, that's why you love our students, right? Because they're, they're, you know it's a Norwich student when, when, when you spend two minutes with them. When they say, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. We don't, we don't have to hear that in the Northeast. So I love it. Thank you for sharing that. So T, you know, Norwich University has deeply ingrained values of leadership and global perspectives, broadly as an institution. And for us, these are also outcomes for study abroad in many cases. So I'd love to hear you tell us a bit about how you see study abroad in relation to these areas, especially through the lens of Norwich's mission in particular. The curriculum was designed to be both um, intellectually based, but also practical hands-on. And I think that's where study abroad comes in so beautifully, right? So you've got the academic side, you're in the classroom, you're learning these concepts, but also having this experiential learning that occurs. And then the learning is both academic, you know, you've got a master of material, but then you're also meeting people in the community, figuring out currency exchange, figuring out how to say hello, goodbye, yes, no, thank you. How do I get this bus? That kind of thing. And 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 really having, you know, I think 90% of being abroad is just learning about your host culture, right? And and making all those awful mistakes that you'll never forget gonna make you a much better person. All of those things combined, I think, what what makes study abroad for anybody magical, but especially for Norwich, they bring those lessons back and, and then put it to the test some more when they come to campus. Uh, and so, T, through that lens, like, what does good leadership look like to you? And how do you bring that into your own work as a senior international officer? You know, I subscribe wholeheartedly to servant leadership. I, I think people often think of leaders as this glorious, glamorous position, but I really myself more as the behind the scenes, the roll up your, you know, be a good role model, but also we're the ones that staying late at night, making sure that the next day it's even better. We're doing all of those things. And and I will say so that, that service heart, um, that desire to help that, that willingness to do whatever it takes is um, what I love at Norwich and it embodies what I think, you know, good leaders are. And so, T, we love this sentence in, in Norwich's mission. Leadership is not merely a formal position in an organized group, but rather it occurs whenever a person wholeheartedly pursues excellence. 
And I love this because it can be so applicable to study abroad students as they pursue their academic intercultural goals while overseas. Tell us about how leadership, a core value at your institution, is fulfilled through international experiential learning. I like, you know, you you flesh out the part about excellence. I think our students and what we want to mirror them is that you're going to do everything and to be as good as you can whenever. And so I think, you know, preparing students to go abroad is is no different than preparing them to lead, um, being there and watching them develop while they're abroad, unfolding as a leader um, is great preparation for them. And then when they come back, right, watching them have those aha moments when they come back and then, you know, seeing what they do with, with their newfound skills. So Definitely everything about study abroad from that moment of, I think I want to do this, to choosing their program, getting ready, being over there, you know, coming back. So we always tell students that we're not just there for you during the selection process, but we're there for you throughout the whole process, um, including after you graduate. Absolutely. So we've been talking a lot about leadership, but I know in the past, you and I have also talked a lot about followership. How do you think about the importance of followership and how do you see this in the scope of your own work in the field and on campus? I once told a friend, if I ever do a PhD, <laughs> I probably won't, but if I ever do a PhD, it'll probably be on followership. I think we write a lot about what makes good leaders. We write a lot about responsible leadership. We write a lot about ethical leadership. We don't do enough about followership. Um, I think great leaders know how to inspire followers. Great leaders know how to attract more of their followers. But there are more followers than there are leaders. And I think that we need to talk about what it means to be a responsible follower, an ethical follower. Myself as a leader, I know I can't do anything without those who, quote unquote, follow me, right? And so, um, and, and then the other thing about my, my personal life is, you know, my family came to the U.S. Um, after the Vietnam War, and what we don't talk enough about is, you know, the followership, right? So you have Pol Pot, you have um, all these leaders that got people to follow them into doing these awful, atrocious things, and you and a lot of it can be blamed on the leader, but I I think that followers also need to, you know bear some of that responsibility. So what does it mean to be a follower? How does one choose who you follow? Um, and then what is our responsibility as a follower? Um, one thing Norwich does is, you know, we always say you can't be a good leader until you're a good follower. And what does that mean? But also we teach our students to be strong enough to say, I'm not going to follow you anymore. You're not a good leader or that was not a lawful order and I'm going to do it. So, um, so that's where, you know, I, I tend to look a lot about, I look into followership because so much can go wrong if, if we don't um, really focus on that piece as well. Well said. Thank you for that. So what advice would you give to, to international educators who are looking to be more intentional in their integration of leadership and outcomes into their study abroad programmings and the life cycle of support that we provide our students? What pro tips do you have? Um, I often will, every now and then, I think you'll see me on social media and, and I'll say something like, if your circle isn't diverse, 
neither will your newsfeed, you know? So if you don't have a diverse group um, of people that you follow, your newsfeed is not going to be diverse. If you don't have a diverse newsfeed, you're not going to continue to see the different um, stories and, and point of view angles. So I don't any one thought leader that I follow. Like there, there are people that I read. There are people that I listen to. Um, I tend to do more of the, you know, I like to follow different newspapers. I like to follow different writers of different backgrounds, of different political persuasions. I just like to keep this variety of people in my life. You know, I may not always agree with everything that they follow or like or write about, but, you know, like the algorithms, if you don't have a multitude of, you know, sources that you're connected to, you're just going to have this. So I would just encourage people to, you know, keep your eyes open and, and have a, a broad following and, and have a diverse following or, or be that diverse voice for people. I know I personally, when I share things um, and people like it, um, then they start getting things that they probably wouldn't get or see as well. So, um, yeah, so that's my point. It's just, you know, look at your social network. Is it diverse? And if you don't have friends, then go out and, and like and click and follow, you know, diverse writers and, and news sources um, and whatnot. Yeah, I love that. Just, you know, how can we, you know, as international um, intercultural professionals, be open to ideas and people who come from different backgrounds and may have different opinions than we can? And, and how does that make us better in our work? I think that's, that's a really intentional approach to that. So, so thank you for sharing that. So in the field of international education, we know that study abroad can lead to increased self-confidence, the ability to tolerate ambiguity, and enhance communication skills. Not to mention any of those critical cross-cultural benefits that we all know and love, right? In what ways are you engaging in dialogue about these outcomes on your campus, T, as you build a culture of international education at Norwich? So I developed a class for our international business program called Intercultural Engagement, and it's very similar to what you would find in an intercultural communications course. And I remind students that intercultural communication is a skill. You learn it like you learn a language. You know, I often have people say to me, oh, you're in international education. You must know a lot of languages. And I always respond with, I actually don't. But I know a lot of cultures, you know, so you can learn different cultures. But you need to take it a step further and learn how to speak in different cultures and learn how to speak in different cultural settings. So um, I am teaching a class and I'm teaching it a lot like a foreign language course where, you know, I'll give them a variety of sentences and then I'll say, okay, you know, do high context, do low context, do indirect, direct, you know, and, and I'll give them sentences and they have to write them out like all the different ways that <laughs> one can say depending on, on your cultural setting. So I focus a lot on the skills side of things. Um, I think we spend a lot of time talking about valuing diversity value and globalization, I want to take it a step further and say, okay, now how do you actually exhibit those skills? You can actually um, negotiate, you can win people over, um, you can make progress, outcomes and goals using specific skills. That's terrific. And, and T, you mentioned that you yourself identify as an immigrant. And so I'm curious as to how that shapes the vision for your role at Norwich. Uh, as you are the senior international officer, of course, as well as your overall career 
aspirations and trajectory? In many ways, I feel like my life has come full circle at Norwich. I'm not just an immigrant, but I came as a refugee. So uh, my father was in the military. Um, He fought with and for the Americans. And so we've always had um, an affinity for the American military. I know that, you know, wherever my father went and there were veterans, he just always felt at home. and, And those were the people that treated him like he was the person that he is, an important, respectable person. And and you don't always get that um, as a person of color or, or as an immigrant. So I've always had a special place in my heart for um, the military community. So, so being able to serve our future military leaders in this capacity um, means a great deal to me. And I think that our profession is not as diverse as it could be. And as a result, the students who study abroad aren't as diverse as they could be. So I do believe that representation matters. Um, I do want to get more underrepresented um, students abroad, but more importantly, more underrepresented persons in the field. Um, and so, you know, it's being, I think, an immigrant, a first-generation college student, um, those are skills that I bring to the position and and will attract students who probably wouldn't even think about studying abroad and or be able to talk to them and or their parents in a way that maybe someone who doesn't have that experience can do. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I, and I've seen you in action hustling at studying abroad fairs and, and talking to students and, and encourage them to pursue um, life-changing opportunities. So, so thank you for sharing that. Norwich is a private military college that has its roots dedicated to producing educated citizen soldiers. We would be remiss not to ask you about what study abroad looks like for your students, the types of opportunities they pursue, and how a global education impacts their academic, personal, and career goals. A colleague of mine, um, I think, put it so succinctly, and and so I always um, repeat his words. and. Uh, Professor Morris basically has said out loud, and I applaud him for saying this, we do not want our students to have their experience abroad be when they join the military, right? Like that should not be their first experience abroad. They should be much better prepared than that moment they get shipped abroad. Um, And so I link it back to that, of course. And then, as I said, my own personal background, um, our experience in the military was a positive one, but it isn't always a positive one. Um, and so a lot of our military personnel, they're sent abroad to win the hearts and minds of the people that are there. A lot of our, our peacekeeping missions, a lot of what we do is, you know, exhibit that we are a, a nation that's loving and caring and, and, and want to help people. Um, and so I often talk about the golden rule, right? How, do unto others as you do unto you. Well, that doesn't always work in a cross-cultural setting. What you want done you is not what somebody else wants done unto them. So in order for you to win the hearts and minds of people, you need to know what is in their heart and in their mind. So that interpersonal piece, that exposure, I think is so important for those students that want to continue um, in serve in the military and, and will have these experiences. So I think that that's unique for us is that we are serving a population of students that at some point will go overseas for military service. 
Um, we also have students who choose a very specific lifestyle college experience where they get up at 5 a.m. They do military drills. They're in uniform. They have to keep their hair a certain way. They have to wear a certain kind of glasses. It's very regulated. And so for them, study abroad is their one semester where they're living the civilian lifestyle. They don't have to worry about, you know, wearing a, a uniform. They don't care what their hair looks like. They don't have to shave. They, they all still say, yes, ma'am, no, sir. But, you know, they're having this civilian college experience. I, I want that for them as well. And then a lot of times come back and, and, and they will say that they met other American students who've never gotten to know anybody like them, i.e. someone who has committed their life to be in the military. And so that's great for other American students to have that exposure as well. So um, study abroad for us means different things to different people, obviously, um, depending on, on who you are, because we also have civilian students here. But it, it takes a special meaning knowing that they're going to be represented um, in the military after the grade and that we have a very important role in how we prepare them um, once they, you know, take that oath and go on to their careers. That's great. And, you know, I know that the, the motto of Norwich University is I will try, right? And as international educators, we often want our students to be inspired to endeavor to make study abroad part of their four-year academic journey. But let's, let me flip that around, though. What about Norwich Students Inspires you, T? They do try, and, and they will try, and, and they will do everything before they come to us, I think, for the most part, um, or they want to do it alongside of us. And so, um, you know, I get up every day excited to be at work. I'm going to be crying my eyes out this weekend <laughs> when I see my students graduate. I'll be crying my eyes out weekend when they, you know, take their, their oath um, and commission into the military, because I've seen how they work when they came in as Rook. And then I've, I've seen the, the beautiful men and women, um, and, and I know they go on and, and do great things. And so they inspire me. Um, and so I, I, as I was telling a student the other day, I'm just here to curate an experience for you, <laughs> like, <laughs> but you're doing it all yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Um, And and so, you know, this year, T, we are celebrating World Stride's 55th anniversary by collecting the life-changing moments of participants, past and present, who have done our programs. It's been a lot of fun to read everyone's stories. So thinking back to you and your story, what was your life-changing moment, T? You know, I I go back to, you know, my father, who is my hero. Um, He's always lived this life just adventure and and I, I he has been my biggest inspiration and he he's he's the person who has said you know if whatever food people put in front of you eat it try everything go everywhere he was the one who encouraged me to study abroad my mom was like oh absolutely not you're not going anywhere I don't want you out of my sight and my dad was like go take every opportunity take every chance and so you know I have lived like this very curious, fun, fantastical life. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that, um, you know, my dad was just like, live your life, buy the shoes, <laughs> you know, take the selfie, do everything. No, don't say no to anything. Right. And so, and, and, and that's why when I look back at all these 
adventures that I've been able to have, moving halfway across the country to live in Vermont, um, it all goes back to um, my father's experience in the military where he got to lead and he got to um, have these experiences and adventures that he passed on. So I don't have any one memory or story, but when I look back my collection of crazy zany stories, I think it all goes back to him giving me um, the confidence to just go out and, you know, say yes to everything that comes my way. Live your life, buy those shoes, take that yeah. selfie and say yes. Exactly. That's, that's great advice. <laughs> I love it. Uh, just one final question for you today, my friend. You know, as you think about education abroad and our work in 2023, what is it that makes you hopeful? We survived the pandemic, so that makes me very hopeful. Um, I think this new generation of students is um, just an endearing group, right? They're so open, they're curious, they're willing to call us out. You know, you're a millennial on Tech. <laughs> <laughs> they will let and, us know, won't they? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there are things about them that they can learn from us, but um, I wrote about this. In, in, in one of um, our alumni magazines, where I talk about third grade principal. Um, you know, we have these great children now whose um, grandparents who had fought in, in these wars. And, and now they have that. I don't know if you're familiar with the third generation principal, but now they actually have the space to ask questions and to really go, what was it like, Grandpa? And I want to be just like you, Grandma. And, you know, so now we have a generation of people who can look at grandparents who are not what was the generation before. Now you have men and women. You have every type of person that has served, every type of person who has, you know, blazed the trail. So I'm very hopeful. I, I feel like, you know, they, they don't have some of the mental barriers we had um, because they are able to point to um, the representatives and say, you know, if that person can do it, I can do it too. So yeah, I'm very hopeful and, and looking forward to this next ne crop of that are come our way in the fall. Well, I can't imagine a better place to end it than right there. Thank you. Um, T, thank you so much for doing this. What a blast this was. It's always good to see you. And I was going to say right before you turn off the recording, I'm sure people tell you this all the time. You know who your celebrity lookalike is, right? No, please tell me. You are Mr. Bradley Cooper. Oh, yes. Okay. I, I will accept that one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have heard that one before. Yes. 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 <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Uh, um, you and I'm going to go gather all my tissues because <laughs> I'm going to go say goodbye to my graduates. And to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Changing Lives Through Education Abroad. I'm your host, Zach McKinnis, and please make sure to join us next week as we continue to explore topics around international education and exchange. Thank you to my spectacular World Strides colleagues, Lindsay Kelcher and Sarah Kachuba, without which this podcast would not be possible. Please subscribe to Changing Lives Through Education Abroad on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And share with your friends and colleagues. Let's create life-changing moments together, people. Thank you.